0: you stick around at the end. There's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon.
1: Our scripture is from John chapter 13, 1 through 2, 4 through 5, and 12 through 16. Before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave the world and go to Abba God. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully. Jesus and his disciples were sharing the evening meal. Jesus got up from the table and took off his robes. Picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. After he washed the disciples' feet, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and sovereign, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your sovereign and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, just as I have done you also must do. I assure you, no subordinate is greater than the superior, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them.
2: Well, friends, as I mentioned at the top, today marks the second in a month-long series exploring the unique superpowers of St. Luke, which This being a church and this being a pulpit, of course, just happen to also be super powerful aspects of Jesus' teaching and ministry. Last week, we explored the power of authenticity and how it uniquely can be found here, at least in my humble opinion. Today, we are exploring the power of praxis, which is a wonderful but slightly heady concept So I brought another prop this week to help us out. But before I unveil our prop, I need to ask this room a very important question. I want you to envision a classic traditional playground. There's a slide, a swing set, and over here to the side, there are two kids. We're taking turns going up and down while sitting on a long piece of wood with a triangular type of fulcrum in the middle. What do you call that contraption? Okay, all right. This, this may be perilous. We're gonna call a live vote. Show of hands between teeter-totter or seesaw. If you are team teeter-totter, please raise your hand. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> If you are Team Seesaw, please raise your hand. I brought a pen, let's just adjust that, all right. I think in Michigan we called it a Seesaw, it sounds like Minnesota is a teeter-totter state. My proactive apologies if I say the wrong one as we proceed. So, thank you for helping to clarify that. It's great that I know, now know that teeter-totter is the correct term because right. I brought one, an improvised one made out of Avery's toys. And this is going to help us to understand the power of praxis as we get along in our sermon. Now, before I start playing with that, though, <clears throat> I want to go take a little trip down memory lane And share a bit about my own journey with belief and action that'll bring us to this concept of praxis. You see, I grew up in a very simple, lovely, community-based Presbyterian church in Metro Detroit, and it was a wonderful community church in which religion basically boiled down to this. Look, love God, love others, and try to do some good in the world. Don't overthink it. When in doubt or when in conflict, focus on doing good. That was a really good thing for me growing up, and probably a very developmentally appropriate uh, site of ministry for me growing up. Just do good, do some community service. Occasionally we'll talk about God and learning how to love, and maybe occasionally we'd pray, but for the most part, my church growing up was all about community service. That worked well for me. I eventually went off to college and I joined a campus ministry group which had really wonderful, really devoted Christians who loved to worship, loved to pray, loved to read the Bible. It was very impressive for me. I had done a lot of community service. I enjoyed my youth group. These people took their faith really seriously. Wow, this is neat. I dove in with that campus ministry group, a non-denominational, somewhat evangelical, though that term was new to me. I didn't really know it, what it meant. And in time, while I was really motivated and inspired by the depth and passion of their faith, I began to experience a bit of a crisis. Because my whole life, I learned that faith was about doing good and loving others. And here, next to these very committed Christians, I was suddenly receiving this new information that loving others sometimes meant casting judgment on others or excluding others in the name of love. And that was, you know, maybe I grew up a little sheltered, but that was pretty new to me. And I didn't know what to do with it because they clearly read the Bible a lot more than I did, prayed a lot more fiercely than it seemed like I did. And so after a year or two, I began to have a bit of a crisis of belief. This faith thing was such an important part of my upbringing, but is, is, is this what it's supposed to be? Around the time I was still attending my home church and working there and doing a lot of community service there, and there, there are aspects of this campus ministry group that I really enjoyed, and then some that were really troubling, and it spun me up, and eventually I decided I had to go to seminary to try to figure it all out. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if I realized at the time that that is why I went to seminary, but looking back, I now see that that was a big part of it. I was really struggling with what to do with these conflicting sources of information, and so I went to seminary and found at Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary a wonderful, rich, diverse student body and faculty who taught me how to think critically about my faith. I encountered wonderful liberation theologies, my worldview expanded, and suddenly I found that theology could be rich and nuanced and contextual, and it was incredible. And I found a lot of my questions and crises being answered and resolved, and I loved it so much that I thought, I should go on and get a PhD, I should be a professor. And that was a track that I started going down while in seminary. My plan was not to be here in this pulpit some 12, 13, 14 years later. About two-thirds of the way through my seminary profession, or my seminary time, I remember it was when I was researching professors and beginning to work on PhD applications, I wanted to explore this niche area of environmental liberation theology. I had stacks of books about people all over the world living out their faith, about community ashrams on mountainsides that are finding ways to be carbon neutral and do all this stuff and 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 I realized while sitting in a coffee shop with a stack of books that everything I was reading about and felt so passionate about, I didn't know the first thing about actually doing in real life. I had read countless books on organic gardening and compost and how it intersects with theology and scripture and I had never once grown a single cucumber. And suddenly, I found myself facing another bit of a crisis when I realized that if I go off to PhD land in academia, that I would probably be spending at least another five to six years or more tucked away in coffee shops or libraries in the name of this good that I was pursuing in the world, perhaps without actually getting out and experiencing any of that real life good, which for a fairly sheltered young adult who hadn't lived in many places yet, was beginning to seem like a bad idea. Now, I want to name a couple of terms here. I left my home church, went to college, encountered that group. I began to have a crisis over the right way to believe. There's a term that's often used in, in many faith traditions, Christianity as well, called orthodoxy, which means the right belief. Ortho meaning right, doxy meaning beliefs or concepts. So if you hear the word orthodox, you know orthodox Jews, orthodox Christianity, often it, it is describing a set that is really focused on the right way of believing. I had a crisis around that sort of orthodoxy, And then later in life, I had a crisis around something that people might call orthopraxy. Praxy meaning action, right action. And so, our teeter totter. I found myself in a situation where suddenly learning more and more about theology and, and being so focused on right belief, it was all that I wanted to pour my heart into. I put all of my weight in terms of trying to best understand things and eventually realized that I was so off balance, so teetered to one side, that I wasn't at all actually acting out, living out my faith. But on the other side, maybe perhaps growing up, just focusing on doing good in the world without ever actually critically thinking about theology or what's going on in the world, volunteering at soup kitchens and food shelves again and again and again without ever asking myself, why are so many people hungry in the world? Why do the same set of folks seem to have wealth time and time again and others seem to routinely wind up these lines. Only focusing on good action without thinking critically, That also winds up things being off kilter. And so I lived a lot of my life with the seesaw tipping one way or the other, one way or the other. Have you ever seen someone trying to ride a teeter-totter by themselves? I feel like it's a bit of a classic scene in most of those movies and TV shows, you know, I don't know, something happens, uh, a breakup or a friend moves away and it's a rainy day and you know, the kid or the grown grown-ups sitting on the teeter-totter by themselves. It's no fun. It's no fun and it's just not the way to do it. Now Jesus, Jesus encountered these dynamics in his ministry time and time again. We don't have it in our scripture today. We have a positive example in our scripture. But if you flip through the Gospels, you will often find Jesus encountering people who are either focusing so much on correct doctrine, on orthodoxy, or perhaps the other way, focused so much on perfectly acting out the letter of the law, orthopraxy, that they are often missing the spirit of what God was intending to begin with. They were so focused on the right way, one way or the other, that they weren't actually living in that beautiful, harmonious space that comes with the interplay. Jesus challenged both camps time and again throughout his ministry. And that includes folks that were both within his own circle of Judaism and beyond. In doing so, Jesus also modeled another way of being. What Jesus did was formed a tight-knit group. He formed a community that was driven by both thoughtful theology and thoughtful acts of faith. You see, as often as Jesus teaches about love, he also acts about love. And as he acts upon love, he then teaches and reflects about what he is doing. And he does that with a core, committed groups of folks around him. We see that in this passage. On the very final night before his betrayal, Jesus puts his love into practice. He feels the love for his disciples. He washes their feet. He says, see what I have done. Connect the dots between the actions I am doing here and now, the actions we have done out there, the teachings that we have shared along the way. This is what servant leadership looks like. This is what love looks like, both taught and embodied. Jesus wasn't focused on orthodoxy or right belief above all else. He wasn't focused on orthopraxy or right action alone. Jesus found the wisdom and progress that happens when both are embraced together as mutually informing strengths, a cycle of transformative insight. Feelings, actions, teaching, belief, each propelling one another forward. And there is a name for that. Of course there's a name for it. There's a sermon for it. (laughs) That term is often described of as... It was especially popularized by Paolo Freire and his Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It was picked up by a lot of liberation theology movements. But the core idea is, to return to this seesaw image, that action and belief are not two different poles that we have to figure out how to balance. A teeter-totter is not properly utilized by both people Trying to perfectly balance. However fun of a party trick that may be, (laughs) that's not really the point or the joy of the teeter-totter. What is unique is the momentum that happens when both sides propel each other forward. Actions propel thoughts and reflection, which spur us on into new action and new insights. And the cycle repeats and repeats. In doing so, we find that our thoughts, let's use Jesus' example, our thoughts and ideas about love are improved when we put that love into action. And as we practice loving others and serving others, as Jesus does here, it deepens and transforms our thoughts about what love looks like about who is our neighbor and how to love that neighbor. Action and belief propelling each other in the context of a committed community. That is praxis. And it is something special and unique that sadly does not occur in a whole lot of spaces, especially in spaces that are sustained by time. Interestingly, I heard a wonderful example about that this week. I'm going to invite Katie up. It's good, I need a sip of water. Katie's going to share a few words that helped inspire this sermon as, as we were in a meeting earlier.
3: Luckily for all of you, I don't know the word, or use the word praxis, and I don't know much about theology. But... Here is my experience uh, at St. Luke all these years. Like all of you, uh, I like to volunteer. If there's a need out there and I can fill it or help with it, uh, I like to do that. Um, It it makes me feel useful. And um, that's a favorite thing of mine. Um, But volunteering, particularly for Uh, the many organizations we're involved in like ICA and DIW and 21st Century Academy and Pine Ridge, it goes on and on, um, can be exhausting and very discouraging if week after week, year after year, you see people, more people who don't have food, who don't have a place to live, who are getting a really raw deal, who are being discriminated against, and it's so discouraging Um, that I sometimes feel, what good am I doing? And what I find myself saying is, what's wrong with this picture? Why does this keep going on? Why is this happening to these people, all of these people? It's so unfair, it's so wrong, and it's not what we say we want to be. So I find myself thinking, I have to get involved in advocacy, advocacy in trying to change systems, to trying to change laws, to reorganizing things, uh, to speaking up. But I also, and so I've done a lot of that, um, but I also find I can't do that successfully if I'm not also still involved with the people who are suffering the most because I'm, I'm not authentic if I just am writing letters and making phone calls and not referring to real situations. So I have to be doing both. Uh, each one, for me, needs to happen, and even though I'm not an expert at either one, I have to combine them, and maybe that's my part of the seesaw.
2: Thank you, Katie. Service and advocacy, both of which are very important in our church and our faith tradition, really benefit from that praxis model. When we serve people directly, we are in closer solidarity. We get a better look at some of the issues at hand. We can then advocate from a place of knowing and relationship, and as we advocate, we then bring those policy ideas back to those communities that we're serving. And so you get that motion, that teeter-totter-seesaw motion, where it's not the balance, it's the back and forth, back and forth. You get momentum, meaning progress and purpose. Best I could do with my children's toys this morning. (laughs) Action leads to reflection. Reflection spurs new action, which leads to more insights and learning and more transformed action. That's the power of praxis. It is a special power, a superpower, and when it takes place in a community that is committed to being together and in engaging in the hard things in the world, we find the power not only to change our world and our policies, but to change ourselves too. <clears throat> we have this at St. Luke. I'm still recovering, so I'm losing my voice. So I'm going to end the sermon there. <laughs> but it's a very special thing. Something that you don't find many places. <clears throat> and I hope that we can remember and celebrate that and share that here too. Amen.
0: As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, SaintLuke.MN. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.